Hello and welcome to Wits and Tantrums, a podcast where we review issues that possess wits, depth and capacity for tantrums on a five-star scale. I'm Uime Emanuel and today I'll be reviewing Nigeria's famous fast food restaurant Mr. Biggs and the works of art by Arrest in Yellow. Let's start with Mr. Biggs, one of Nigeria's first chain of fast food restaurants known for its red and yellow color scheme and meat pies. Mr. Biggs has 170 branches across the country and was founded in 1986, roughly 107 years after the establishment of its proprietor, the United African Company. Its debut was at a coffee shop in Kingsway Department Store, a store that came into existence after Lagos was bombarded by the British in a move to stop the slave trade, thereby creating an opportunity for foreign merchants to sell their products. The attractions of Kingsway were many and potent. The store sold world-class products, offered visitors an engrossing ambience, and gave buyers and spectators new sights to feast their eyes on every once in a while. They had snacks that tasted so good, they etched a place in their consumers' memories. They had fine clothes for sale on the hangars, and their groceries were the best that could be bought in the country. There were a lot of sightseers at these stores, with only a fraction of the visitors actually purchasing things. We are here, however, to review Mr. Biggs, not the glamour of Kingsway department stores. I don't know how to tell you just how much I loved Mr. Biggs while growing up. I enjoyed every part of a day that involved me going to Mr. Biggs. The everlasting Lagos traffic could not irritate me enough. The heat of the sun did not wear down my excitement at the very least. Because each visit was completely different to me. And of all the favorite moments I would have on a day like that, eating from Mr. Biggs had to top it all. So, do you know how there are moments when the world moves so slowly you can feel your bones shifting and your mind tumbling? When you think that no matter what happens to you for the rest of your life, you will remember every last detail of that one minute forever. While I am yet to experience such a moment truly, close enough would be my earliest memory of eating a meat pie at Mr. Biggs. I remember significant details from that day, but not everything. Like I remember that I was a budding 12-year-old wearing baggy jeans with an orange sleeveless shirt, but I cannot remember what was written on the shirt. I remember sitting on a little chair, but I cannot remember if it was green or if it was red. And I can remember that as I beat into a meat pie, I was overwhelmed. I was almost moved to tears. But I could also be down to the fact that it was extremely hot. But still, I could not stop myself. The crust was crunchy on the outside and soft on the inside. I remember the feeling simply worked with the crust in pure consonance. The carrots were soft. The potatoes were well cooked and well salted. The beef was stringy. It was sweet. Not in a sugary kind of way, but just sweet. It was simply a joy that I had not gotten tired of. And as I was eating the meat pie, I cannot remember if it was a carrot or a potato that fell onto my lap, but I could remember that I picked it up and that I ate it. Before you should judge me, you should know that food is very, very important to me. Like, my exact thought patterns were captured well when Virginia Woolf wrote, One cannot think well, love well, or sleep well if one has not dined well. 
and at the age of 12, yes, dining well meant Mr. Biggs's meat pile. But right, who doesn't like a meat pie? The name Mr. Biggs evolved with most marketing efforts after a grueling name test. The company needed something unique, impactful, and most of all, memorable. And then it picked Mr. Biggs, which almost immediately became a household name. At its opening of business to the general public, Mr. Biggs shocked even its promoters with its possibilities. The customer count easily hit 4,000, with seats for only 108 customers at the time, thus making Mr. Biggs one of the top 10 fast food restaurants in the world in terms of customer counts. And from there on, they vowed to deliver as they picked up the slogan, Always Good. And indeed they did. I remember seeing this one kid in a bus grinning ear to ear when he was told he would be going to Mr. Biggs. I was going to Mr. Biggs too that day, although that would be my last day. It's no secret what has happened to Mr. Biggs. Between fantastic meat pies, mouth-watering moi moi and always good, Mr. Biggs still managed to fade into the shadows. All good things must come to an end, people often say as a way to justify endings, but nobody really tells you how painful such a passing can be. So, on a quick side note, the original meaning of the phrase was from a poem by Geoffrey Chaucer that contained seven lines of iambic pentameter, a poem called The Siege of Troy. That particular line was picked from the section that read, He sung, she played, he told the tale of Wade. But at the last, as everything had end, she took a leave. The few lines of that part did not seek to give closure, but were meant to point out regret. Anyway, in its final years, Mr. Biggs lacked the very refined claim to offer. On the last day that I went there, the restaurant looked pale and devoid of all the energy and families it had once boasted of. The meal was below standard. I remember buying a scotch egg with my brother and it could not have been bigger than a tennis ball. From there on, it only got worse. There have been accounts of several complaints from empty meat pies, questionable ingredients in food, and terrible overall service. Somehow, Mr. Biggs is always good, just wasn't enough anymore. Or maybe that wasn't it. I was going through Twitter the other day, and I saw a tweet from the people at McDonald's, another famous restaurant, and the tweet said, All good things come to an end because we eat them. Humans are an ever-consuming species. We consume so much. In a year, on average, a man can consume food worth 905,370 grams. To help you understand this, let's say a burger is 45 grams, which it is. If I were to calculate what it would take me to eat relatively burgers every day for a year, three times a day, let's say we vary the weight every once in a while, it would still amount to only 370 to 400,000 grams in a year. We managed to consume all that Mr. Biggs had to give until he could give no more, and then it began to struggle and to break down. But Mr. Biggs never stopped giving or trying to give. It never stopped trying to be good always. In December of 2019, Mr. Biggs had a reboot, trying to shake off its rust and try once again. I'm not very positive about its efforts, but then again, I'm not positive about almost anything. So maybe one day I'll get to enjoy those meat pies again, or maybe I won't. But their snacks have etched a place in my memory. And at this point, I hope in your memory as well. A memory that would be always good.
I give Mr. Biggs three stars. After the break, I'll turn my attention to the works of art by Arresting Yellow on Instagram. But first, here's a message from the people kind enough to sponsor this podcast. So very often when I'm taking a walk, I engage in some form of soliloquy, except I do it a little bit differently from most people. Instead of reflecting on my past actions to learn from them or probably experience pure embarrassment, or instead of looking into the future with optimism or with the fear of the unknown, my form of soliloquy involves me asking questions that I have no answers to at that very moment, usually with an interrogative pronoun or two. And this can be good. They can lead me to learn new things, which is the fundamental reason for this podcast, to share these things. Like, for instance, the word etymology has an etymology. Two Greek words that, when combined, can mean the study of a sense of truth or the fact that salt kills an earthworm by suffocating it, a quick process where it dries the earthworm's skin, which prevents it from breathing, causing it to writhe in pain from suffocation and then die. So, okay, I'm inquisitive, nothing special. I don't always entertain the sixth sense, of course. As you can see, the voices can be annoying. But when I saw the works of Arresting Yellow, my mind seemed to clear out, except for one question. How does a work of art come to be considered as great? The intuitive answer, of course, is that some works of art are just great. They are of intrinsically superior quality. The paintings that win prime spots in galleries or get taught in classes or reproduced in books are the ones that have proven the artistic value over time. Professionals will tell you that if you cannot see the superiority of such paintings, that's simply your problem. It's an intimidatingly neat explanation, of course, but some social scientists have been asking awkward questions. A question like, aren't some things that are just, quote, great, just historical accidents? In a seminal experiment in 1968, people were shown a series of abstract shapes in rapid succession. Some shapes were repeated, but because they came and went so fast, the subjects did not notice. When asked which of these random shapes they found most pleasing, they chose the ones that, unknown to them, had come around more than once. A sort of unconscious familiarity bred affection. I found myself asking if there is a familiarity to Arresting Yellow's painting, or was it just great? What colours were used and why? What shapes are present and how were they made? What was the message in the artwork? And at that point I thought to myself, here come the voices again. In an attempt to find meaning, let me take you through the works of Arresting Yellow, whom from here on I will address as Azuka because she said it was okay. If you ever find yourself in the vast sea of digital content we call Instagram, I urge you to take a moment to search for Arresting Yellow. It's an art portfolio. My favourite work lies in the second column of the final row, a work of digital surrealism, the first of its kind, a series called Orubeke, which I've been told translates to office work or white-collar jobs. The art involves a slender man-like creature, with a briefcase and what I can only describe as the finest of shoes, and judging by the meaning of this series, I take it the creature is going to work. I mean, my original thought was that with that height, it might prove a little difficult, especially with a commercial vehicle, 
But I guess I should now go on to state that Azuka was not trying to draw a scene out of a Slenderman horror movie, but she was trying to draw us. She was trying to tell us a story, a story of me and a story of you. In this story, I can hear my footsteps as I rush into work, five minutes to the requested time. I can hear the sound of a conductor shouting Ikeja and Maryland so quickly you would think it is one place. I can feel the heat of an early sun on a Wednesday morning, but I can also feel the calm as I arrive barely early and as I stroll to my office, my heart pounding a little less with each second, and I think to myself, Lagos is simply crazy. That's quite a rush all at once, a rush that brings calm and confusion, but above all, a work of art that suited my taste. So I guess that's what makes it great for me, that it suits my taste. It is of habit that we believe that every work of art by a famous painter is admirable. And for good reason, actually. But for me, I only look at art to please myself, and I seek out only what suits my taste. People often ask me how I can read both fiction and non-fiction without having a personal preference or getting bored. I simply explain that for the time a piece of literature, or in this case, art, takes to unfold itself to me, it has to plug into some kind of internal perplexity. And indeed it does. Like, there's so much happening. Everyone is talking, but no one is listening, or for that matter, looking. In fact, in one of our paintings, the girl with the vehicle tires for eyes, Azuka asks that we look at our perception of masculinity, what it is and what it ought not to be. And that's the trick about living on a planet that contains as many souls as unique as our own, that we find a way to listen to a person's idea and experiences and to believe in those ideas and those experiences as fully as we believe in our own. While I've known Azuka for about six years, I've only personally gotten to know her in the last two years. Although my earliest memory of Azuka was when I was working with a friend of mine, a boy five foot six that because of his size we called Panda. As we strolled through the first floor of my school, I saw her attempt to realistically draw the portrait of a man. I remember being astonished at her skill level because at the time I did similar work but was nowhere as good as she was. I stopped to observe for less than a minute. She did not look up. I did not ask her to. I did not want to ask her about anything else other than perspectives because that was my weakness. But to be honest, she looked kind of scary or whatever. Azuka is a phenomenal human being. She has her hands in some of the best work in the world of design I have been fortunate to see. She has a wheel like that of a rhinoceros. She is smart and she can be brave. I remember she told me once she threatened the keke driver if he'd like to spend the night in a barracks when she knew she had no military contacts. I don't know about you, but I find her very brave. I've often tried to get her to open up about her work process, but she never seems to have the answer herself. I would dare to say that her experiences, of course, have played a role in the works of art she creates, or maybe her art is just great, or maybe the fantastic images and repetition of white lines, or the incongruous juxtapositions of vehicle parts breed my affection. Azuka's art discusses sensitive topics. 
in my experience, that is never easy, especially if you aim for a large audience. But she does it in a way that suits me and in a way that changes me. Royty Bennett writes, even if you cannot change all the people around you, you can change the people that you are around. Art is subjective, of course, so if you ever find yourself staring at a painting by a resting yellow, you might not be able to experience all that I have talked about. And I understand the feeling of seeing a resting yellow's work and wanting to roll your eyes. That's okay, I did it for a while. But I can tell you that if you take some time to take in a work, you might find yourself in a similar state to mine. A clear mind except for one question. How is it so great? I give the works of art by resting yellow four and a half stars. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wit and Tantrums. If you'd like to help this podcast, please consider writing a review of it on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you rate and review your podcasts. If you'd like to suggest a topic for review or just say hi, feel free to email us at witandtantrums at gmail.com. I'll see you on the 18th of next month.